Gonna have a real good time together We're gonna have a real good time together We're gonna laugh each child together Have a real good time together Welcome back to Jokerman Podcast. I'm Evan. I'm Ian. And today's a special day. We have uh, uh, an artist or a, a member of a band that I think means quite a lot to both of us. Uh, and uh, uh, here to talk about a band that means quite a lot to him, uh, as far as I know, at least. Uh, uh, and I think I know. Uh, it's Ira Kaplan from Yolo Tango. Ira, thank you for joining us. My pleasure to be here. You've got a new record coming out. Um next uh, i guess it's already going to be out by the time this runs um but we're not going to uh focus on that today because i'm sure you've done what? plenty what what oh no i gotta go <laughs> <laughs> uh i'm sure you're, you're at, you've answered plenty of questions or will be answering plenty of questions about this stupid world uh, a fantastic uh record that i've been listening to a little bit recently uh through uh, uh aaron's grace on uh, the email chain um but uh, we're gonna focus on uh, on the Velvet Underground, uh, our uh, our our subject of the, uh, the the second best band of all time. That's right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we've covered so far. Uh, you know, listeners out there might know we've only gotten through uh, you know the four canonical Velvets uh, solo records. You know, we've been doing Lou and John solo material as well. Um, but the uh, the four canonical Velvet studio records, I should say. Um, but Ira, you, um, you know, when we were trying to figure out what to, uh, to rap about here today, you had a bootleg that you suggested as a, uh, subject of conversation, Velvet's Live 68. What, um, what is it about? Why, I guess, why, why this? Well, I, the bootleg records are, are just remarkable. I mean, all, I mean, that's part of what makes them a band to obsess over is, is the live recordings and where every version is different from every other one and it's just you just never know what you're going to hear when you when you encounter another show sure and and i guess live 68 for a variety of reasons it just hit especially hard when i got it the uh, the it was the first time i was aware of uh the song i'm gonna move right in which because it came out before the uh uh, whatever that one's called, an, another view, another which had the view, instrumental yeah. version. But um, so you know, just you know, it, it, when you find a song you've never even heard of, that's finding gold. So, right. <laughs> uh, but but the whole the whole record is is just amazing. I mean, the the, the performances, the the guitar playing, just out of the world. So it's, it's just great record in general. But um, it, it was. I'm going to move right in with the, the entry point. Mm-hmm. 
Notably, the version of Move Right In that's on this bootleg uh, actually has lyrics to it, which the uh, the version on Another View is basically just a band workout, you know, totally instrumental. Uh, that sounds great, but, you know, this live version, I think, like you mentioned, uh, is, uh, is just like, you don't know what you're going to get. And <laughs> lo and behold, here's the same song, but with a whole set of lyrics. Uh, attached to it is this so is this a record that you you like have the record like an actual piece of wax with this I do yeah oh boy that's <laughs> it's funny we've been talking to a couple folks about the Velvets um, you know we talked uh, uh, to Michael Imperioli about the first record we talked to, to Dean Wareham about um, Loaded and stuff and uh, I think they both mentioned that like you know when they came to the Velvets in like you know early mid 80s uh, that it was like difficult to even hear like the original studio records, you know, the first couple at, at the very least. Um, did you have a similar kind of experience where you were sort of working backwards and just like piecing together knowledge about this band from the beginning, just like based on what kind of scraps you could scrounge up? Definitely. I, I think like I, I've, I've encountered this in a number of people I've spoken to where the first record I heard of theirs was the uh the the double live album on on mercury and you know so many people for some reason maybe that was distributed better uh but i think even to this day i, I i'm not even sure i own a copy of white light white heat i, I wow it, and if i do <laughs> i went and got one because my copy was that ridiculous archetypes series <laughs> that mgm oh, yeah. put out so you know so i have the record but but you know, I, I always kind of am not sure how deeply I want to dive into this stuff. So, like, you know, at some point I opened my wallet and bought a, a banana, a, you know, a record with the banana on it. Sure. But do I need one with Eric Emerson? You know, no, I don't. So, <laughs> it's, uh, so I, if I don't have white light, white heat, I'll probably rectify that now that I think of it. But yes, I do. Ha well, you should really hear it. It's, it's <laughs> oh no, good. no, I've got the album. You know, it's, I'm oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's still early for me here. Oh, it's quite early here too. It's an early morning Joker men in the AM. Yeah, drive time radio. It's like Mike and the Mad Dog. We're probably not going to talk about the Mets much in the next month. Thank God. Let them go on their losing ways. They should not only refund your money; they should pay you to go to the ballpark. It's a very special era that it strikes me like this moment that we find the band in in 68 the band is just in really well practiced form and kind of uh running through all their old material doing material that would be on the self-titled record and just kind of uh seeming to have a lot of fun with these songs that maybe people don't think of the band you know as such a fun group they think of like venus and furs and heroin but I think they're striking a great balance here between those two things. Yeah, I mean, Foggy Notion is hilarious. <laughs> and, and the version on this Live 68 record is just amazing.
I saw Yelatingo play like twice in 2021. It was both the, the first times that I saw you guys. And I thought I, I had a, a this kind of feeling that's similar to, I think, what I was just describing of like that you have been able to sort of get so comfortable that I think there's moments of the show when it'll be full on like like shredding, like capital S insane. And then it'll be like a delicate little ballad. And then it'll be something that just kind of is just a, a, a fun little number. There's this sense of variety and mastery over that variety that I really admire about Yola Tango. And I kind of don't see very many other places, um, especially with current live working bands. Sure. I, I, I think I think we at some point identified our our ability to you know to to switch gears quickly as being something we were adept at and so thought that would be you know a good thing to say if at, the, at these not not always but at certain shows we do which there's some long blowout song that everybody thinks is probably how we're going to end you know bringing it way down for one more quiet song after that to just kind of uh, it just seems <laughs> i don't know effective or <laughs> or not I, you know it's 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 hard to answer th- that question because it, it, it you know we're just kind of following our instincts and what we think we're good at but you know it's, it sounds kind of pompous to say it out loud <laughs> we can confirm that what you're doing up there is working <laughs> that is i think my biggest takeaway from listening more and more to the velvet underground that's maybe one of their most underrated strengths is just that they have this um interest in doing a lot of different kinds of songs mm-hmm. and that's like not maybe not what a lot of people think of them as uh, being so great at but they they're so funny here and i can't imagine just being in the crowd here and not smiling the whole time well even even you know on the on the the you know I, i'm i'm stammering because i'm not sure if it's 69 or 70 but the double live album that you know even hearing lou reed you know, trash talk about the cowboys. You know, when the first time you hear that, you're like, wait. Good evening. Rose Velvet Underground. Good evening. Glad you could all make it. So we should get used get used to each other. Settle back. Pull up your cushions. Whatever else you have with you. That makes life bearable in Texas. <laughs> And we saw your cowboys today, and they never let Philadelphia even have the ball for a minute. Yeah, it's 42 to 7 back by the half. It was ridiculous. Yeah. And you should give other people just a little chance. Your football, anyway. This is a song called I'm Waiting for My Man. Is that really? You know, because <laughs> the, the recording quality is not great, so it's quiet. You have to turn it up and you just can't believe your ears this is the you know that it's the same guy that you know especially in the case 
you know, for me, when, when I got that record, I borrowed it from a friend of mine. The first thing I did was go to side three so I could hear this notorious song heroin that I'd heard so much about, but, but I, I played it from the beginning of the sides. So the first song I ever heard by the velvet underground was ocean. And it was not what I was expecting. <laughs> Such a funny no. first Velvet Underground song to have ever heard. It's ocean. Here comes the ocean and the waves found by the shore. Here comes the ocean. What do you think of that song? We've had some debates oh, on adore it. Yeah, I, I didn't at first. I mean, my first, you know, I was it was definitely like a Peggy Lee moment. It was like, is that all there is? <laughs> and then, and then I, like hearing like the rest of the record, you know, especially with like, you know, we're going to have a real good time together. You know, it's like, a oh, I see. It's a rock and roll band. That's right. And, and then you. Right. That's just right. Kind of discovering very quickly the the range. And, and then from the liner notes, getting a feel also very quickly that of just how different they could be as they refer to the the very different lyrics for for new age and uh i, I forget what the other one is but um you know just how different the version of sweet, sweet jane is even though i didn't know sweet i'm now i think of it i might have known that might have heard that on the radio but without realizing who i was listening to yeah yeah i think a couple of people have mentioned to us that they heard sweet jane first is like the rock and roll animal version uh and that that got like some classic rock play which another well, this very was, funny was that this even... would be, be before that i mean i uh, rock and roll animal you know i'm i'm an, I'm an old gentleman so uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this was before uh you Fair know enough. i i think it's probably i'm trying to think of even before I heard uh, "Walk on the Wild Side," but maybe not. Maybe, maybe I knew. Uh, I don't know. My 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 grasp of of time is uh, elusive, so <laughs> I might have known "Walk on the Wild Side" already. Speaking of "Walk on the Wild Side," when we had uh, when we had Dean on, he mentioned because I, I I think we we mentioned uh, when we spoke to him that we were potentially going to be getting a chat with you at one point. He mentioned that we should ask you about Transformer uh, and your opinions on Transformer. Do you, do, you have any, do you have any opinions on Transformer to share with us? I, I don't really know it. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure I've ever heard it from start to finish. Wow. I know a lot of the songs. I, I, I really am a, a Velvet Underground fan, obsessive fan, but, but not, not nearly as conversant with the Lou Reed solo stuff. Uh, mm. You know, I, I, I have a lot of them. I've, I saw them a bunch of times, but um, I didn't, uh, I, there, there's been a lot of Velvet Underground stuff in New York in the last uh, week uh, because um, Ignacio Julia, who wrote uh, Feedback, has a new collection of, of his interviews with the Velvet Underground members put out mm. by the Ecstatic Peace Library. And he was in town doing a couple of events 
and uh, he and he and Thurston Moore were talking about what their um, their least favorite Lou Reed record is. <laughs> and, oh, what did what did they say? Well, Thurston either implied that maybe Ignacio was revealing a private conversation. So uh, I'll 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 let you ask one of those two guys to get the answer. Fair but uh, but but I was thinking at the time that I don't. I couldn't answer that question because I haven't heard them all. Uh, sure. Uh, so, is there is there something conscious about like like you know you decided to be a you know Velvet Underground Superhead but decided against doing that for Lou or was it just kind of a natural kind of combination that it just worked out that way? Yeah, it just it just happened. I I mean I that kind of person that that they all hate. You know, I would listen to the. You know, the more bootlegs I'd find, the more uh, live shows I'd hear. Every one of them was just seemed earth-shattering to me. And and then when it came to the the solo records I was hearing, you know, I'd, I'd like them, and I'd I'd like some more than others. But but they weren't taking over my brain the same way. So. The way that the Velvet stuff, yeah, that's yeah. really fair. They're, they're just your team, you know, you don't always just pick your team, it just sort of happens. Yeah, that's right? a good point. It's, it's just, you know, you just support them. and this, this bootleg a little bit. A fascinating element about this particular record, I think, is that I believe this is like Doug's first live appearance with the band. This is based on some of the liner notes that are on uh, Tyler Wilcox's uh, Doom and Gloom from the Tomb, which is an essential resource out there. He wrote a little bit about this. Oh, um, I, gotta, I, gotta, I, I was wondering, I, I saw an email note about that in preparation for this, and, and I was wondering how you knew that. Um, because the the liner notes on the back of the record are vaguer, and it, it it's not even all the same show because the last song is is heroin with John Cale. With John. So, I, I it was unclear to me that um, what you know where exactly stuff is drawn from. Uh, there there is they they do mention and 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 note that that Doug Ewell's playing bass on what goes on instead of organ which you know is more of the live versions that's the instrument he's more familiar so it, it's clearly early but right. um but i didn't know it was the first show until hearing from you guys well just on the note of doug you know i, I think another uh you know kind of hobby horse of ours on this program has been debating the doug you know the doug era of the band and i think both of us uh, have sort of evan and i both evolved in certain ways about that conversation 
how do position you, on the matter has evolved. It's it's bit. always evolving. Um, how do you uh, just like kind of conceive of like the Velvets with John, the Velvets with Doug? Is there a a a canonical version of the band, or is it all kind of the same? You know, what what, what do, do you have any thoughts on that matter? You know, I I love both versions and don't really uh, maybe I, I'm you know it's it, now I'm thinking of it, which I rarely do. You know, you're talking about the whole fun aspect of it. The the version with with John Cale is probably less fun. I mean, not that Sister Ray isn't a riot, but um, it's looser, right? But maybe that's just because we've heard more of the live shows with them and uh, with with Doug Ewell. But uh, you know, ex- except for except for Loaded, clearly being my fourth favorite of the four records you know i I really do love it all and i and i love loaded as well but just not as much right yeah it um to me it's sort of like my i've come to realize or i've come to conceive of it at least myself is like there never actually was like a canonical version of this band you know because of the four studio lps none of them were made with the same you know lineup of players if you consider loaded wasn't actually made with Mm -hmm. mo even though she's credited there um, and so, you know, it was really just an evolving, um, and amorphous, you know, set of people weaving into and out of each other's lives and, you know, Lou himself and I guess Sterling, um, uh, uh, although I think he was even sort of, um, not as present during the creation of Loaded as, um, uh, as he had been previously, um, you know, Lou, Lou was really kind of the, the single through line there, obviously from beginning to end. Um, but by this point, like the 68, 69, um, period, um, that uh, is captured so brilliantly on this bootleg, like they've evolved into like a real kind of working band at this point. And I think that's why it is more kind of rock song oriented, um, because, you know, they're, they're playing shows, they're in Boston, they're playing in San Francisco. Um, this, this bootleg I think was from Cleveland. Um, and, uh, and they're just, they're doing things differently than they had been previously when they were so deeply ingrained in the factory set and the scene and playing at the Dom and running around with, uh, the Warhol contention and stuff like that. So it almost kind of feels like they've like evolved by this point into just like a normal band, but like in, in a good way, you know, like, uh, like, like the way that they would want to be evolving. Well, I have to, I have to say there's, 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 there's so many gaps in what I know, including like, well, I mean, does this band practice, and if so, where? <laughs> and and even when they're they're playing shows, I don't know. You know, it's not like they're going out on a month long tour. My impression is they're they're flying into a city and playing there, and then flying home, and that the, the the runs are all longer than one night. But I don't know how many like are they going from Boston to Cleveland to San Francisco? I I don't even know. So I don't know. Maybe you do how often they play. It remains mysterious to me, you know, in a good way. Heard that they played, I mean, more in Boston than anywhere else. And that's where Jonathan Richmond was mm-hmm. uh, sort of becoming their first ma- like real acolyte. Like uh, he was, I think, went to 70 shows or something. When I first saw Jonathan Richmond play in like 2013, it was really soon after Lou's death and he talked a lot about that and he actually told a story of meeting Lou on the street in Boston and kind of catching up to them like the band was just walking around and he was like uh I really like the way you 
play your guitar and he's just like you do and he's like yeah i do and he's like said it in this uh, he gave like specific reasons why he liked it and i guess he sort of ingratiated himself into the group um into their favor but it, it seemed like that was from what i know and i'm no great scholar of it they were playing a lot in boston and it was kind of like their training ground home base in a way um yeah, they weren't touring. It was it was definitely like, you know, they had specific clubs, specific cities where they had, you know, a group of people that they could get to come and see them, basically. And San Francisco, like all the Matrix tapes, you know, that have come out on bootlegs, that, mm-hmm. that's drawn from there. And then obviously, you know, Richmond has um, uh, a bunch of stuff from Boston and whoever was taping here in Cleveland. I, I think the guy's name is mentioned in the liner notes, but I forget who exactly. But uh, yeah, it was definitely more of a, uh, you know, kind of in and out, uh, intermittent kind of thing. Um, and yet, clearly, as documented on this this boot, like they could fucking get up there and just kill it, just absolutely shred the version of um, "I Can't Stand It." I think is absolutely like amazing. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, just Mo Tucker is the thing that more and more I'm thinking like that's that is the thing that makes it the Velvet Underground more often than not. Um, and Loaded being a separate case, but here it's like she's. I feel like the reason why they can have fun in the way they do sometimes it feels like the the simplicity of it is is this um, as as it's. I'm not the first to say it's sort of like this thing that anchors their sound and gets them to this place where they can go off all over the place and come back. And the steadiness of that is in the restraint. I just admire it so much and more and more with each of these bootlegs I listen to. It's the thing I kind of latch on to. Oh, you know, I don't know if you heard about this, but uh, another one of these linger on events uh, they showed uh, some footage that I think has just been unearthed of the Summit High School uh, performance. Really, their first. Yeah, it, I mean it's very very brief, but and more of it is of the middle class and of the Velvet Underground. But but there is now some footage floating around. Wow, is that the one where they're with the first drummer? Is that the, the no no? It's Mo's or? first show. Mo's first show. Okay. 
the uh, the show after their first drummer, whose name escapes me, Angus McLeese. Right, <laughs> the great he, Angus McLeese. <laughs> I I hope I hope you weren't being sarcastic about the great Angus McLeese. No, not at all. Oh, okay, <laughs> he because he you know came came from uh, you know the whole uh, the yeah. Lamont Young you know scene with John and stuff. Just he <laughs> he went in a very different direction than people like Lou Reed ended up going once he departed from the band. Are you an Angus McLeese uh, head yourself, Ira? I I wouldn't say that, but uh, but I have. I have some records. Sure. Where do we start with Angus McLeese? What, well, I couldn't tell you. I mean, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I have the, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm no expert, but, but I do have the, the record that came out with, uh, you know, him and Kale and Tony Conrad and uh, right. Young. brought up dean before and uh because we did we, we did this show together i don't know if it came up uh in, in in philadelphia we were asked to do kind of a exploding plastic inevitable performance oh wow uh and um i have to say we were a little reluctant this live 68 record at at one point i when i got it the the dream syndicate were were coming we're in town for a few shows and I offered to record it on a cassette for Steve Wynn. He accepted, but, but with a, the caveat, like, you know, like don't tell anyone, like, you know, cause they were running so quickly from their being compared to the velvet underground at all times. And, and he was saying, you know, I'm not really supposed to say <laughs> how much I like them. <laughs> uh, and, and, I can certainly relate to that. I did at the time and I can now because the the number of times our band was compared to the Velvet Underground became something to just deal with. Right. And, you know, ultimately, you know, we, we, we did a version of It's All Right the Way That You Live on our second record. We weren't trying to deny anything. Right. There still was like, do we really want to do a whole performance of not only a Velvet Underground songs, but where we barely choose which ones we're doing, like mm. do this kind of a uh, Beatlemania or Mamma Mia for the Velvet Underground. <laughs> 
And ultimately, it just seemed like it would be so much fun to do that we felt like if 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 it's going to be fun, let's just do it. But so we got a friend of ours to play viola and and then on a couple of songs, like went to organ and or bass. You know, we kind of moved around slightly imitating at least how we perceived they were moving around and uh and we got rid of melody laughter and uh and, and one other song i can't remember and 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 did the like out of the anachronistic for the uh for the show sister ray instead but um but ultimately sure. played kind of the 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 epi stuff and 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 dean and Brito were on that bill as well doing uh playing with with some of the the screen tests it, it ended up being a really great night and it's oh right and it took place where the epi had played in philadelphia no, wow i actually just talked to dean about this the other night uh i just ran into him and he, i was saying mentioned that you were coming on and he he actually was talking about the uh being at the at this event doing they were shoot were they actually showing the films on top of them and everything uh, there was there was some film component. I don't know. I can't remember what it was, but there there was also an exhibit in the in the other room of like press for the show, and you know most of it negative <laughs> letters <laughs> letters of complaint that it had generated. Uh, and wasn't uh, wasn't the first time that you would have uh, played the Velvet Underground? You know, quote unquote played right. uh, the Velvet Underground uh, thanks to your appearance in I Shot Andy Warhol uh, from way back uh, at this point was that was that something that you were just you guys were approached to to do and you just said yes or was there something more to that because john worked on i think john did the score for that but lou right. was also kind of not stoked about it yeah well we, yes and it, it, we were approached and and there and there probably even more than the the epi thing we were because the band wasn't as well established at that time we thought you know what what could we possibly do to make sure that we are never not that we are always mentioned in the side losing track of my syntax that we're always mentioned in the context of the Velvet Underground. <laughs> this this will this should take care of that. But it was the same thing. It it just sounded like fun and we wanted to do it. Um and uh so we did. Fair enough. Well you're the second guest to appear in that movie that we've had on the program oh yeah because michael was in it right wasn't he playing um on dean on dean yeah that's right oh yeah and he talked about running into lou at madison square garden and <laughs> that was that yeah. was fun he disapproved of the entire project apparently out of hand but uh you know he didn't know that it was good and that it was going to be great you know it's a, a prickly character uh that lou that lou Reed. well i mean and and understandable you know, it, it, you know, if if somebody who wants to provide a context, if if not quite a justification, but at least a context for the person who who shot your friend, you know, I, I that seems like being against the the notion of that movie came <laughs> it was fair on his part. Sure. Yeah, it seems. Um, I mean, and the title is provocative. Obviously, it doesn't. It. It's not pulling any punches.
Um, well, back uh, maybe back to uh, the bootleg to uh, round it out for us here. Uh, I mean, one other thing that just like is extraordinary to me is the way that the these songs could live, you know, live versus in the studio. Which I mean, this record is composed of there's it's five songs on the record. It's what goes on, move right in, I can't stand it, foggy notion, and heroin. And three of those songs, Move Right In, I Can't Stand It, and Foggy Notion, never actually saw an official release on a, you know, officially uh, conceived of LP. They ended up making it out on these, you know, rarities comps uh, later, VU and another VU, um, but in radically different forms, you know, uh, and uh, I think that's what's so stunning to me uh, and striking is the way that, like, I Can't Stand It, for instance, which is on VU, um, he's such a tight, simple, I think it's like two and a half, maybe three minutes or something on, on the recorded version when they cut it in the studio. And it sounds amazing. Um, certainly leaps and bounds beyond what Lou was able to do on his first solo record. Um, but here live, it's just like a completely different, you know, uh, uh, like experience basically, not quite to the level of Sister Ray or something, but, you know, not too far off. Um, and Lou and Sterling just absolutely, you know, killing it together for minutes on minutes there in the middle. Um, that, uh, uh, to me, I think is one of the most extraordinary aspects of the Velvets, um, and, uh, is uh, one of my favorite parts of this record, uh, that you, uh, chose for us, Ira. Well, it's, you know, I think you were talking about the, the differences of the four records and the, and all the live shows make it clear that these are snapshots. These are not, you know, they, they are so different from night to night, record to record, song to song, and, it, it for me there's just never I've, I've never been unrewarded by diving in deeper <laughs> totally uh it's also uh, striking to me i think because uh, we we've just recently talked about the blue mask um and uh you know robert quine kind of coming in and um convincing lou to sort of resume playing the guitar at that point because he had sort of trended away from that and allowed other studio players to take over and, you know, do a lot of the guitar playing on the records at least because he, Lou himself, uh, was sort of insecure about his guitar playing and felt like he couldn't really keep up with these, um, you know, uh, 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 masters, uh, that he was playing alongside with. And I think this record is a really like striking testament to him being wrong about that. Lou being wrong about not being confident in his guitar playing because Sterling obviously is kind of, you know, he's, he's driving the show here with the lead, solos and things like that but Lou's playing I think is just an equally essential element here and absolutely like on fire as far as I'm concerned there's like a really rhythmic kind of tribal quality to it almost at certain points that um you know as far as I'm concerned he shouldn't have ever been um dissatisfied or insecure in his his abilities heroin the version on here I think is my favorite uh moment in some ways on this whole bootleg because it's just a clear-cut example of it being them totally taking liberties with a song and it working in this way that is pretty unexpected. It's so fast and um, unfussy and still feels like they're really connecting to the material. Hello from the edit phase of the episode, Jokerman listeners, just dropping in here, we had a slight technical snafu, lost about 15 seconds of Zoom audio, wouldn't you know it, uh, but Ira is just about to refer to a version of Run 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 from Praise Ye the Lord, another 
Velvet Underground bootleg that we talked about doing, uh, but ended up deciding against. Uh, so I'm going to drop in a few seconds of this absolutely out of this world cut so that you know what he's talking about in just a moment. <laughs> run 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 just remarkable guitar freak out version of it but then at the end Lou sings a verse that you know you don't hear on any i don't think you hear it on any other version it's certainly not on on the record version uh just one more round you just never know <laughs> do you guys do you feel like you uh try to do some of that you know in live performances yeah yeah I mean, we, we just did our, our Hanukkah shows and um, we actually did a, we did, um, and, and different people sit in on pretty much every show. And we do specifically, we end up doing, because we like to cover songs written by Jews, we do a lot of Velvet Underground songs. <laughs> but we, we did, uh, we did Run, Run, Run with, uh, with Ryan Sawyer also playing drums in addition to Georgia and, Bill Nace playing whatever that thing he plays is and, and Lee Ronaldo. So it was kind of a fun, ver hopefully fun. It was fun for us. Uh, yeah. I had it uh, like one of the best nights of my uh, concert going life. When I, I, in 2021, I was at one of the Hanukkah shows and it happened to be a night where he played like two Bob Dylan deep cut covers and blank generation. Um, <laughs> I, it was a, a absolute delight. I think you played, um, Something from Planet Waves. Yeah, we did. Um, we did going, going, gone because Ivan Julian right. joined us, and uh, you know Richard Hell so wonderfully covered going, going, gone. It's a great choice. Love going, going, gone. I I actually saw you guys do. I think on it was Christmas nineteen, the Hanukkah show because Christmas or Hanukkah fell on Christmas there. I was there on the twenty fifth, and I think you did heroin there, and I think Lee came out and played with you on that too. It's He's uh, definitely done it with us, yeah. It's always a delight, folks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course, because then we had Lee sing Mary Christ during the encore. Yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah, that was that was one for uh one for the books. And that was just a couple months after I saw I also saw you guys open for Bon Iver at the Barclays Center. So just going from Yola Tango at Barclays Center and then like mm -hmm. two months later at the Bowery doing the Hanukkah show. It was a very, um, <laughs> I love seeing you in both of those different environments. So in answer to your question, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you do it. <laughs> yes, we do allow the songs to change from night to night. <laughs> um, so Richard Hell's Jewish, huh? Yes, he is. I'm 
Verklempt. Many years ago, we um, we were able to get David Johansson to come to one of our shows, and when we were doing it at Maxwell's, and we asked if you know if he would be willing to sing Chinese rocks, and he was asking what Jew wrote Chinese rocks, and we said that Richard Hell pointed out that Richard Hell had a credit on it, even though and. It's a, it's a half Jewish song. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's like it has a it has a Jewish father. Um, well, I think uh, I think we are just about there. Thank you for uh, for joining us so much, Ira. This was a uh, fantastic conversation, um, folks. Uh, this stupid world out now anywhere you can uh, get it, and the band is storming across the United States uh, this month here in February. I can't wait to see you guys here in uh, San Francisco in a couple weeks. Uh, I do have to get one, just one last question, because this is a music podcast. A lot of our guests are not really big sports heads. I actually am something of one. How are you feeling about the Mets going into this uh, into this season? Was the Correa thing, was that a real big heartbreaker? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I... I... As a Mets fan, you have to have a certain amount of fatalism and mm. a certain amount of blind optimism. So I'm I'm telling myself that the Correa thing had to fall apart because, you know, of of the uh, his connection to the Astros and cheating. That's a good point. Were the same way that Beltron was going to be their manager and then he got fired before he even started because of that and so same way you know the the Mets have that force shield about the the cheating scandal I don't really believe that but you know trying to make lemonade out of the uh situation out of lemons yeah very good I mean McNeil is uh is locked up for a couple years now uh so that's that's a positive although speaking of Astros you've got uh your boy Verlander taking Jake's place on the mound so that uh it's it's gonna be a fun season at the very least uh, well, thank you so much again, Ira. Uh, this was uh, a yeah, dream come true for both of us. And uh, best of luck out there on the road. And uh, again, new record, absolutely amazing, as they all are. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Jokerman. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Step right up and greet the Mets. Stream your kitties. Bring your wife. To have the time of your life Because the Mets are really Stocking the ball Knocking those home runs right over the wall East side West side Everybody's coming down To meet the M-E-T-S Mets Of New York Town Solo
love.